God, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you that we can trust it, and thank you that you speak to us in it and through it. Now, Lord, we commit this time to you, and I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd enable me to proclaim your word for your people and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, and we adore you, and we thank you for all that you're doing in and through us, and we pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'll start reading with verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. May God bless to us this reading. From his holy word. Well, I don't know if you have heard or read about this, but uh, I certainly mentioned it on uh, Resurrection Sunday here at City Temple about a study that was commissioned, a survey commissioned by the BBC uh, in the run-up to Palm Sunday. And uh, you can look it up online at the BBC and, and check it out. But one of the startling figures that has gotten the headlines from this survey is that about 25% of self-identified Christians don't believe in the resurrection. Now, which is rather startling, considering, uh, according to Paul and according to the Scriptures, that if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a Christian. And it's just the latest in a series of things where people in our society are rejecting the scriptures as the trustworthy word of God. They're rejecting the history that is recorded in the scriptures, such as Jesus Christ has bodily risen from the dead. And we see this in our society. We, we commonly read uh, uh, articles about nurses and teachers who are put on administrative leave or who lose their jobs because they pray for somebody or they stand up for Jesus. Uh, most recently, you might have heard about the student who was expelled from Sheffield University because on a, his Facebook page, he said that he stood for the biblical understanding of marriage and that homosexuality was wrong, it was sinful. Uh, and it's, it's stunning, and, and even you have people uh, such as the uh, liberal Democrat leader Tim Fallon, who is pressed on, who's uh, apparently from all intents, all I know is a Christian, but is pressed on whether or not he believes homosexual practice is a sin, and finally says, well, no, he doesn't, uh, I think probably bowing to a lot of pressure. And yet you juxtapose that with the truth of the Scripture, uh, the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most thoroughly established uh, facts of ancient history. Uh, and you combine that even with the common experience of people such as the young man I just read about in uh, the latest issue of Christianity magazine, 
who had been living in a, a gay lifestyle and was touched by the power of God and became a Christian. And is saying in his testimony in Christianity Magazine that churches should not compromise in their proclamation of the scriptures, that if they would have, that he never would have experienced the loving, saving work of Jesus Christ in his own life. And it's very easy for us to look around this setting and to feel very insecure as Christians, almost afraid for ourselves, uh, afraid for our jobs, afraid for our lives. And it's very easy for us to get the impression that Christianity is on the wane and things like atheism and Islam are in the ascendancy. That one day most of the world will either be Muslim or atheistic and those two groups will probably be going at it and Christians are going to fall by the wayside. And it's quite easy to get that impression and that's why I decided we're going to spend some weeks in, in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae so that we will learn as Paul was seeking to teach the people in Colossae uh, that we will be able to, to stand uh, mature and fully assured in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you look at all these things and you start to feel that, that Christianity is falling away, all of a sudden you'd start to, it would be easy to think that what Paul said here in the middle of the passage that we read uh, in verse 6, which has come to you, talking about the gospel, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, it's very easy to think that right now the gospel is not bearing fruit and increasing. But from the day that Paul wrote this on parchment, until today, there has never been a point in time in history when the church of Jesus Christ was not increasing. There has never been a point in history where the gospel was not bearing fruit and increasing. Now that doesn't mean that the gospel has been bearing fruit and increasing every place at the same time and at the same rate. No, quite contrary. There have been seasons in different nations and different times when there's been explosive growth of the gospel and then it moves to other nations and other seasons and other times. But the truth is that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ has been growing exponentially and especially since the beginning of 1900. The thing is that right now it doesn't seem to be growing in Europe and certainly a lot of churches are closing even as a lot of churches are being planted but there are many areas around the world today where the gospel is exploding so quickly that it could change a nation. You look at South Korea, which finally had to be relabeled from a Buddhist nation to a Christian nation because the gospel has exploded so much in that nation beginning with 1900. And you look at nations like China, where uh, thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ every day, so many so that I've been saying for over a decade now that the day will come when we label China a Christian nation. I think we're going to see that kind of sweep. Or you look at the nation of Brazil, which historically has been Roman Catholic, but the evangelical church has been exploding in Brazil and changing, uh, changing many cities, uh, many communities all, all across the nation. Or you look at uh, Iran right now, 
And the gospel is exploding rapidly in the nation of Iran. It's one of the great awakenings that is going on in the world right now. Or you look at sub-Saharan Africa. And it's estimated that the number of Christians in sub-Saharan Africa will well exceed one billion very soon. And that the day will come when there will be more Christians in sub-Saharan Africa than even perhaps in the rest of the world. So the gospel is going forth. There is power in the gospel. The truth about Jesus Christ, that he is dead and he is risen from the, that he, he died on the cross and he rose bodily from the dead. That truth is going around the world. The kingdom of God is expanding. The church is growing stronger and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming into the faith on a day by day basis. And the Lord is even moving amongst Muslims and Muslims. Muslim nations, giving them dreams and visions and healings so that you have in some communities entire mosques coming to faith in Christ together. Now, the thing, thing is that in many of those communities, because the nation itself is so hostile to the gospel that they still, on the outside, they look like a mosque and they may, like, may pray in a way that's similar to a mosque, but they're preaching Christ in the mosque. And this is happening around the world. And what Paul said to the church in Colossae is still true today, 2,000 years later. The gospel is still true today, 2,000 years later. And it's still growing, and it will continue to do so until Jesus Christ comes again. Here at City Temple, and certainly for me personally, I am not the kind of person that believes that as, as Christians we just have to hunker down, hold on tight, and wait until Jesus comes and rescues us and, and leave the world to Satan. I believe that God has given us a mandate to take the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And that mandate will be true until the day that we see Jesus face to face. And even though persecutions will increase, even though corruption in the world will increase, even though challenges in the world will increase, the gospel also will continue to increase until that day. And as Christians, even in a hostile place like Europe is right now, but it won't always be because the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, but even in a hostile place like Europe right now, we can stand mature and fully assured that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And we must do so. But we face a couple of challenges. The first is also expressed here later in what Paul is telling the church in Colossae. He says, you know, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it does so among, does, also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. One of the keys for the gospel to continue to go forth and one of the keys for us to stand uh, mature and fully assured in the gospel is to understand that it's about the grace of God in truth. And we cannot compromise either the grace of God or the truth of the gospel without robbing the gospel of its power. The grace of God, the, the gospel is about the grace of God. We are saved by grace through faith, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. 
not by our works. It's not about legalism. It's not about religion. It's not about certain practices and observances. It is about God's grace. And we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. It's all about the grace of God. It's all about what God has done in His Son Jesus Christ. That out of His grace, He sent Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And out of His grace, Jesus came and willingly offered Himself on the cross knowing that He would rise from the dead. And that the Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit by His grace to enable us to live fully for Jesus. And it's all the grace of God from the beginning all the way to the end. It's about the grace of God. It's never about us. It's never about what we do. It's never about how we persuade God. It's always about how God persuades us by His grace. But this grace must also be in truth. There are so many people uh, in the church in the West today who want to soften the truth in order to magnify the grace. But you can never soften the truth if you're going to magnify the grace. Because as soon as you soften the truth, then the grace is robbed of its gracefulness. And the truth is that Jesus really did die on the cross. He really did die to pay the price for our sins. He really did die so that we could be redeemed to God, so that we could be reconciled to our Father. He really did rise on the third day in bodily form, in in a very body, in a new body, from the dead. He really is alive. That is the truth. And God's Word is truth, and God's Word calls us to live by grace, but also to live in a way that turns away from the passions of our former selves and puts on the new self in Christ Jesus. And we can never compromise that truth. We can never say, oh, well, all roads lead to the same God. We can never say, well, it doesn't matter if you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It doesn't matter if you really believe He rose bodily from the dead. What's important is the metaphor or the story. You can never say that because once you soften the truth, you rob grace of all its power to save. So people must have an understanding. This word understanding, epignosis, actually means a living knowledge. Now we, we try to think of understanding as I, I understand two plus two equals four. And that's not understanding by this word. Understanding by this word is when you take two pounds and put it together with two pounds and understand you got four pounds. It's a living reality that you, that you know It's the same kind of idea that Adam and Eve were together and they knew one another. And that's the kind of knowledge that people have to have. The knowledge of the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth is absolutely essential. Otherwise, the Gospel is robbed of its power and it does not increase. It does not bear fruit. And that is a call for us in this day to stand mature and fully assured that there is a grace of God and it's anchored in the truth of God. The grace of God and the truth of God go together. And they always result in a way of life. How do we know that we've understood this? How do we see it? We live it. We live the reality. 
says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. When we have understood the grace of God in truth, then it leads to a faith in Jesus Christ. A faith in Jesus that says the things of Jesus are more important to me than the things of this world. A faith that says I know that my Redeemer lives and I am persuaded that I will stand with Him on that day. Uh, A faith that says Jesus has risen from the dead. That faith focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ is the natural and essential outgrowth of anybody who's experienced the grace of God in truth. You cannot help it. But the other thing that happens is that we begin to have a love for all the saints. And this is really the hard place. Because sometimes the saints around us are not all that lovable. But the grace of God in truth compels us not only to have faith in Jesus, but also to reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've said many times that globally Islam shames Christianity. Because when you look at Islam globally, even though there's a lot of infighting, when it comes to infidels, that is outsiders, coming against Muslims, no matter if they're Sunni or Shia, they will band together and consider themselves brothers in Islam. How much truer should that be for us as Christians who know the truth, who know the grace of God in truth, that we would have love for our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and that we would stand with them no matter what. We would stand by side by side, we'd support them and we would love them. The gospel is increasing and bearing fruit all around the world today. And we can live in that confidence. We can go to work every day with that confidence. We can interact in our families every day with that confidence. We go to church every week with that confidence. We get on the bus and get out of bed, not in that order, every day with confidence that we have experienced the grace of God in the truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. And in that, in that truth, in that grace, we stand mature and fully assured. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You that it is trustworthy and true and the challenge it gives to us, but also the hope it gives for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we are not part of a dead religion, but we are part of a living relationship with the one true living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Jesus, we exalt you, we honor you, we lift up your name. and pray all these things in your name. Amen.